Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Sake on Facebook, at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at ForFantasySakeQC at gmail.com. Coming up on today's podcast, it is a recap of week 14 in the NFL. We are going to break down the Sunday night game between the Chargers and the Dolphins and the mess that that was. We're also going to dive in. I wanted to do this last week, but never really found the time for it. We're going to dive into our top 10 college basketball teams we've seen this year. I got some stuff that I got, you know, some notes we'll get to. And then we'll do the week 14 Elite Eight. And boy, was it difficult to find eight teams. Uh, check out on uh, the Four Frequency Sake Podcast Network. Sunday, we had Detroit Beastie on for uh, the DFS segment. He gave us some really, really good stuff. We had a lot of fun there. Uh, check out all of his stuff. Shout out to him. And then also check out this week. We will be the plan is to do a Sinister Six show at some point this week. But also, I really want to try to get together with some of the guys to do a bowl season, uh, you know, picks show. Problem is trying to get everyone together. So we're going to figure that out. Um, the goal is to put picks on every bowl game something we're gonna put one pick on each bowl game we're gonna see how well we do uh just for the fun of it so we've got a, some small you know amounts of juice in each of the bowl games because why not right that would be fun so other than that i'm excited for today uh today's show i'm really excited to talk some college hoops it has been a while since we talked college hoops on here. As you, many of you know, college hoops is kind of my favorite sport. Uh, so we're going to really dive into that. Um, and I've got, I've let it stew. I've let it ruin one of my days. I'm ready to get the Chargers Dolphins game off my chest. Let's get it. Y'all are ready to hear. You're going to hear me be sad for a little bit, but that's fine. Maybe I'll yell. I don't know. It is late. I purposely might have chosen to wait till midnight to record this, so I can't yell. Regardless, let's get it on. All right, so Sunday night, that game was disgusting. Um, it wasn't anything I expected it to be. It was a really weird game. Uh, and there are a multitude of points to get to. It all depends, I guess, on whether or not you're narrative-based or you're analytical-based, because that, I think, will determine how you see or how you saw Sunday and how you choose to, to view it going forward. Here is my... Here is where I am at when it comes to this game. There's a couple points. First off, this was Justin Herbert's best game one of his best games as a pro. Um, 
But, I mean, he has a pretty high bar for himself. He's one of the best quarterbacks alive. Um, Hold on one second. This team in the Dolphins, the second point, this Dolphins team, extremely unprepared. Unprepared offensively, unprepared when it comes to schematics, the communication, no one was in rhythm. Easily the worst game they played this year. And going up against who they were going up against, it makes zero sense that they were allowed that to happen. And then the third one, obviously, is the bad tour performance, which we'll get to. It's a lot of different things. It's schematics. It was he wasn't making plays. All of that. Okay. Let's start with the coaching. Because this was pretty bad. The Chargers have one of the worst coaching staffs in the National Football League. Brandon Staley is a bad head coach. He's a defensive coach whose defense is terrible. Mike Lombardi is the offensive coordinator, or Joe Lombardi, whatever the fuck his name is, for the Chargers, and their offense is gross. The stuff they run with the quarterback that they have, it's very, very bad. They are simplistic. They're easy to figure out, and they just allowed the Dolphins' defense, I thought, played really well, uh, all things considered. Herbert made some fantastic plays. Like I said, this was Herbert's best probably. This is the best game I've seen him play as a pro. Um, And he's had better moments. But just when it comes down to a full game, making throw after throw, I mean, he's sensational. He is sensational. Uh, More on him later. The coaching, though, is the biggest issue I have. Mike McDaniel got de-pantsed on national television by one of the worst coaches in the league. And defensively, they had a good game, but a couple plays really screwed them. The third, in the third or late first half, third and goal from like the 19, and they put eight dudes in the end zone, allowing the Chargers to basically get the ball in the one to give them fourth and goal. Just dumb, just horrendously dumb shit like that all game long, allowing the Chargers to do stuff. Uh, playing deep on short yarded situations, knowing the Chargers offense is very stick based. They're not going to push the ball downfield. And it was just very frustrating to watch. Now, offense for the Dolphins, the coaching, mainly the problems are offensively because, again, defensively, there were a couple things, but I thought the defense played really good. Cater uh, Kohu was the best de- best defensive back in the game for the Dolphins, made some plays. Uh, Jalen Phillips was awesome, and so was Christian Wilkins. Bradley Chubb, nah, not a good night for him, but, Wil- but Wilkins and Phillips were great. The defensive line for the Dolphins is awesome. Um, they had a couple bad moments. DB, oh, well. Herbert made some throws. Shit happens. I think the biggest issue is offensively because it felt like they couldn't adjust. They had nothing. Here's some of the issues. Running the ball, they have gotten away from it. They got owned at the line of scrimmage all night long. This Chargers defense has some of the worst running or linebackers in the league. They're not good at stopping the run. 
They're horrendous at covering at linebacker, and they were never able to take advantage of that all game long. It felt like for four quarters, they kept trying to force the same square peg into the same round hole, and it just kept not working. It just kept, they just kept firing empty bullets, firing blanks, and I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's crazy to think that I watched that game and watched this team that for 13 weeks was really good. Even the Niners game, shit happens. You played one of the best defenses in the league. They've done that to everybody. And then they come here and they look like absolute ass. Jalen Waddle has basically gone persona non grata in the offense. Who knows what's happening to him? Tyree Kill played one of his worst games ever as a pro. He was awful in the first three drives. He had two balls that he just didn't track at whatsoever. Jalen Waddle even had one. Like It looked like the receivers in Tua just fucking met 24 hours before kickoff. I just don't understand anything that happened in that game. Now the Tua thing. He was bad. He missed some throws. He missed some spots. But, like, again... Watch that game and actually break down play by play. What on earth? <laughs> like, there's just make the, the the play calling makes no sense. The schematics were awful. I guess credit to the Chargers defense, but they were taking stuff away and the Dolphins never adjusted. It was the one of the worst coach games I've ever seen. And again, Tua was bad. He's not absolved of anything here. But what on earth, like, they didn't run the ball. They didn't do, do, they didn't go for any easy looks. No, no quick game. They ran like one. So the Chargers basically played no, the, the football version of mo, no middle defense. They played too high old game. They played man with the CBs. They were bumping guys on the line of scrimmage. Oh, well. And the Dolphins love to run deep posts, intermediate slants and crossers. And the Chargers just took around with that. Everything outside the numbers was wide fucking open all night. And they never attacked it. They never attacked it. They they ran one speed out all fucking game. Waddle got 25 yards because he beat the dude off the line, gets outside, he caught it, and then guess what? Here's again. I know he got hurt against the Niners, didn't play much, but why is Jalen Waddle basically become non-existent? They have two of the eight to ten best receivers alive. Tyreek Hill has been maybe the best player in the league this year. I understand that, but Waddle's been awesome, and I just don't under—I just don't get it. And I know Jeff Wilson went out, so they didn't want to only just pound the rock with Moser, but still, they would have moments where they would get gash runs, 15, 20-yard runs. They just didn't try to sustain it enough. How the fuck does McDaniel come from the Niners and not want to establish the run? Every listen, so every time he drew up runs, it felt like he wanted to keep trying to draw up shot shot plays. You can't draw up a shot play after two runs. You have to establish it. You have to establish the run in order to get the safeties and the linebackers to bite. Otherwise, they ran one time and then all of a sudden play action. Let's run deep fucking posts and hope it's open. It was the worst fucking game plan I've ever seen in my life. It makes no fucking sense. I felt like I was watching a Matt Nagy coach team. It makes, like, how on earth do you let one of the 
Worst defenses over the last three or four years absolutely put you in a fucking straitjacket. Is it all Tua? Maybe. Uh, the, the numbers are horrendous, obviously. But the game made no sense. No easy throws. Allowing, just allow, running dudes into where the Chargers wanted them to run. To be covered. It made no fucking sense. There's like two examples all game of the the chart the Dolphins running like deep out uh, deep corner, but Tua bailed on it. There was he had a huge fucking play on one. They run a deep out in a deep corner, and instead of throwing the ball, he fucking tucked it and ran. Like <laughs> they were able to, the one play to Hill, but 190 yards, 150 yards. Against this fucking defense is so bad. It's so bad. And now they're done. They're cooked. Another year of but I honey dicking their fan base. I expect them to play well Saturday against the Bills. They're not because if they win Saturday, they're still in the division race. They beat the Bills. They're still alive. Maybe now that I've stewed about it, I'm not as mad, but like, it just doesn't make sense. Nothing Sunday made sense. It looked like everyone, all the coaches, all the players, it looked like every, on the offense at least, because the defense played great. 23 points against the Chargers. 23 points from the Chargers shouldn't beat you. Not when their defense is that bad. It's bottom six in the league. And they were missing their entire secondary. Jackson's been out. They haven't had Bosa for a while. Derwin doesn't play. It's just so fucking frustrating. It makes no sense. That game made no sense. Like, did every single player and coach on the offensive side of the ball just eat each by themselves, eat a batch of weed brownies before the game. We're running a we're running posts, and two is throwing the ball, and Tyreek's not fucking looking for it. We throw a deep ball down to Jalen Waddle. He just stands there and watches as the ball goes right over his head. Like, was everyone on fucking hallucinogenic drugs? I don't know. I don't get it, man. Not a good night for the O-line either, but, I mean, it happens. Teron Armstead's a gamer. He's out there playing with his fucking peck hanging by a thread. So I understand he's not going to be as good, but I thought he played decent. There was some pressures on some dropbacks, but that was the dumbest and worst fucking coached game. In the like, in maybe in the league this year, Tua was bad. I, I'm not absolving Tua Tungavailoa of a bad game. He was awful. He was fucking terrible. But if you actually watch the game, none of it made sense. Absolutely none of it made sense. None of the stuff they were doing offensively, 
none of the 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 flow of the game. They never got into one. I just don't know what I watched for sixty minutes. It was like I can't believe it, and it was there. The it was right there, even down seventeen to seven. The Chargers' second half offense is ass. They go three and out. They obviously one. There's a couple weird turning points in the third quarter that might have been different. That roughing the passer call was bad. If they stop, they get the sack. Then the Chargers are punting from their own end zone. And J.K. Scott's a bad punter. All night long, Mike Tirico was like, another great hang time punt from J.K. Scott. Bitch, it went 37 yards. You dumb, stupid fuck. God damn. Like, if they would have forced the Chargers to punt out of their own end zone, they would have got the ball to plus 37, plus 35. And maybe that you score and that's your that's it. But that rough in the passer was big. That's not why they lost, but Chargers end up getting the ball to fit the 50 and they're and the field gets flipped again. That wasn't good. Dolphins early fourth quarter, fourth and eight in plus territory. They punted. And then that was when the Chargers went on that long seven-minute drive and got a field goal, which put the game out of reach. Um, That right there felt, in my head at the time, I was like, I should maybe go for this. But they didn't. And just... Really bad, man. I just don't understand. I don't understand it. It is one of the weirdest games I've ever watched. Good for the Chargers. They needed it. Desperation kitchen sink game, I guess, but Fork Roads mo- moment for the Dolphins. If they somehow beat the Bills, then things are saved. But if they lose to the Bills and then went out and make the playoffs as the five or six seed, then you can't trust them. They're not in the Super Bowl bubble anymore. Because then it's like, you know, you go two whole months without beating a good team. Just beat up on the bad ones. We'll see. They're either going to win on Saturday or they're going to lose by 30. And they've been bad in Buffalo. So I expect them to lose by a lot. We'll take a break. College basketball next. This episode is brought to you by Clint's Draft House Pizza and Grill in Moline and Davenport. Chase away your Sunday scaries at Clint's Draft House Pizza and Grill this season. Located in the Belgium neighborhood of 7th Street in Moline, Clint's Draft House Pizza and Grill is home to some of the Quad City's best food and drink specials. On Sunday, there's no better place to be. Clint's is serving up 75-cent wings and $4 Bloody Marys all day. And is your favorite team playing in those out-of-market games? Well, you'll never miss a second of the action on one of their 10 screens with NFL Sunday Ticket. And after you've had your wing and bloody fix, finish off your football-watching experience with one of their famous Quad City-style pot pizzas. And folks, they know pizza. They've been spinning QC-style pies for the last 22 years. So make Clint's part of your Sunday football routine. Clint's Draft House, P. 
Pizza and Grill, 7th Street, in Moline. And also, Clint is now serving up their famous pizza and fried chicken on the Iowa side of the river as well. Clint's Pizza House and Chicken opens up daily at 4 p.m. so everyone in the Quad Cities can enjoy their QC-style pizza and Henny Penny fried chicken. That's Clint Pizza House and Chicken, 7th Street Moline, and 1601 West 3rd Street in Davenport. Today's episode is brought to you by Kavanaugh's Hilltop Bar in Rock Island. It's the place to be every Sunday this football season. Barbecue Chris will be in the house every week smoking the place up with his amazing menu or mouth-watering barbecues. Cavies will have every game on inside and outside their numerous TV screens. Plus, you can play their adult video games, and they have the loosest slots around. Check out Kavanaugh's Hilltop Bar, 1228 30th Street in Rock Island. All right. I have had this on my mind and chest for a little bit. I want to go over the top 10 college basketball teams I have seen this year. Now, I'm going to piss a lot of people off because some of your favorite teams won't be in here. Um, who are some teams that are in here that are that won't be in this that should be? Uh, first, Indiana, Every one of everyone's darlings. Listen, they just don't impress me. They do not impress me at all. Trace Jackson Davis has uh, is had a good season. He has taken a lot of steps, but outside of him, their freshmen have been a little underwhelming, and they can't shoot. They have really bad guard play. Unless those freshmen step up, then I just can't take them seriously uh, right now. There are five teams at the moment that I have in my title bubble. We will get to them. The team six and seven are right on the outside. And then eight, nine, and ten are fluctuating. Uh, all right, number ten. Or like, who, who else that isn't making this cut that maybe should? Tennessee. Um, they have some impressive wins, including a win over my number six team. But... They just don't have offensive punch enough for me. I don't know. Probably in February, I will really, really like them. But right now, just compared to other teams I've seen, not really. Uh, a couple of quick shout-outs to um, a couple other teams that didn't make this. Um, and we'll have some good and some bad. First, some good uh, Mississippi State and Virginia Tech. 9-0 Mississippi State, 10-1 Virginia Tech. Good on both of them. Virginia Tech staying hot after the end of last season, uh, already with a win in ACC play over North Carolina. They look really good. Probably the third best team in the ACC right now behind Virginia and Duke. Speaking of Duke, here's a bad. Duke, very average this year. Nothing they do really impresses me. Filipowski is a solid player. Proctor is very hit and miss. But outside of that, no, they don't pop me at all. When I watch Duke, I really don't see anything that, you know, makes me go, wow. Um, they lost to two teams on my top 10 list. I would easily have them dogs against all of them. Uh, other teams in here, Miami as well, 10-1. and one. Uh, They've had a pretty easy schedule, though, so we'll see. 
other teams, uh, here's a good Maryland, eight and two, just lost a tough game to Tennessee. They are really good, and Kevin Willard, a fantastic hire, very good defensively. I think they're one of the three best teams in the Big Ten uh, behind the two teams I have in my current top ten right now. Uh, I think they'd be, be beat Indiana at Zip right now. They're stylistic, very, very much uh, like Illinois, and I really like them. A bad is TCU. They are eight and one, but man, after having so much hype coming into the season, they have looked very pedestrian. Uh, hopefully, when they get into league play, that can turn around because boy, it has not been a good start for them. A uh, couple other teams we mentioned: Duke being average, Kentucky and Gonzaga, very average, nothing spectacular, especially Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a team that I really think is is early exit this year. This Gonzaga team isn't got, doesn't have the juice to hang with some of these teams that have athletic players, athletic wings. They don't have the guns. They missed a chance to win their title these last couple seasons. They just don't have that kind of alpha player. Timmy's really good, but they had multiple five-star recruits, recruits that were NBA lottery picks roll through, um, and they weren't able to capitalize on them, and now they're just very average. Okay. Let's get into it. Number 10, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Easily probably the most talent-rich team in the country. We all uh, Throughout the, the offseason, we kept hearing about how they were loaded up on off, uh, loaded up with five stars and transfers. Eric Musselman, this is going to have to be one of his best coaching jobs of his career because he was going to have to put a lot of different puzzle pieces together that he never really had. Uh, they have looked really good throughout the start of the season, better than maybe even I could have ever anticipated because uh, this, uh, because I figured with a team with so many kind of parts that never played together, you, it, you're going to have some lumps. I think that they have really shown bright spots. They Their only loss is against Kentucky, or excuse me, against Creighton in a high-level game in the Maui Invitational uh, Creighton, by the way, weird, weird start to the year. They were one of, <laughs> if we did this a week ago, they'd probably be my fourth team, but they've lost a couple games in a row. Now they lost at home to Nebraska. Who's not bad. It seems. And Jesus, I just, there Creighton has fucking flown off the map over the last, you know, week or so, but Arkansas really, really good. I love a lot. They have an NBA lottery pick in Nick Smith. He is a high level, uh, high level player, and they just have a really, really loaded roster, which is going to carry them throughout SEC play. Couple bad notes, Trevon, uh, a, a bad note, Trevon Brazil probably done for the year, I believe, with a knee injury. But again, their roster is really, really deep. Anthony Black is a high level, high level player. He's another guy that could be an NBA uh, lottery pick after being a one and done. I love what they've got with the Mitchells up for uh, the Mitchell kids up front, Mikhail uh, and Mackay, the two seniors. Um, other than that, Jordan Walsh has been a really good player for them. Freshman Joseph Pin uh, Pinion, a lot of young players that are being thrown into this mix. Uh, they've got a lot of good wings. Black and Smith 
are two very high-level guards. I really like this Arkansas team. Number nine is Purdue. I know they just rolled out of bed, and they're the number one team in the country. Um, but this is not the standings. These are just the 10 best teams I've seen all year. Purdue hasn't done much to really blow my blow my drawers off. Um, they blew they blew the piss out of they beat the shit out of Gonzaga. They beat the shit out of Duke. Those are two good wins. Um, but they just don't have anything that really wows me, especially compared to last year when you had, you know, Williams and Ivy and Stefanovic. This isn't a team that has the good guard play like last year. Now, Fletcher Lawyer has been a very solid player for them, uh, but outside of that, they just don't have great guards, and they're not deep. Listen, Zach Eady, 22 points and 14 boards a game. He is what he is, but the problem with the problem with that is, real quick sidebar, Edy by far gets the best whistle of any big man I've ever seen in college basketball, at least I think. Maybe I'm just comparing it to Kofi Coburn, who got the worst whistle I've ever seen in college basketball. Edy gets the best. That is for damn sure, so I don't get it. That's that's one to chalk up to the... Uh, that's one to chalk up, but everyone's going to want to say Purdue's the best team in the country. No, they're not. They would be dogs against uh, probably every team I have ahead of them. Maybe not Arizona. They'll probably be favored against Arizona. They'd be favored against team I have number seventh, but I think number set this number seven team right now would beat them. Um, we'll see. Number eight, Arizona. We mentioned uh, them beating Indiana. They are currently ninth in the country in the AP poll. None of that shit means anything to me at all. These, again, just the 10 best teams that in my mind I have seen. They've got some good moments this year. That Indiana win was very impressive. They play Tennessee on Saturday. Last year, remember, they were top. I think they were ranked number one in the country. Then went to uh, went to Knoxville and got floored. This Getting Tennessee at home, that game on Saturday will be a doozy. They don't play any other non-conference games. Their only loss of the season at Utah in league play, so that's kind of hilarious. Um, but here is some of the stuff for them that going forward I'm going to be interested to see. Last year, everything was great for them, and obviously they had a NBA rookie of the year caliber player this year, Benedict Matherin on their team. But some guys fell off at the end of the season. Pella Larson fell off. He's been okay this year. Uh, Tubelis fell off. He has been awesome this year. Uh, Kirk Carissa, he fell, uh, he fell off last year as well. And this year he's been okay. He hasn't been as, you know, awful. Last year at the end of the season, Kirk Carissa was terrible shooting the ball. But so far this year, he's been really good. Omar Ballo really showing like he can be an NBA center. Tubelis has been fantastic. 20 points a game. He's a guy I really like. Here, the thing about Arizona that I love is they're so long, so athletic, and they can really do stuff to just make you, you know, you have to work really, really hard. The problem with them is are they tough enough to beat the Houston's, the Bama's of the world, or the Houston's, the Texas, uh, the Virginia's, the Illinois this year, uh, Kansas, UConn, all those teams that I have ahead of them. Spoiler alert: um, Do they have the 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 goal to beat those types of teams? Because sometimes they're a little soft. 
TCU pushed them around last year in the tournament, and they almost beat them. Houston really pushed them around last year in the tournament and did beat them. So those are some things that I'm really worried about. Uh, a thing that I loved last year, obviously, they had a guard scorer in court in uh, Benedict Matherin. He was their best player in the on the team, one of the best players in the country, went sixth in the draft. He's been awesome in Indiana. This year, he's not one of their best players right now, but a guard scorer they have is Courtney Ramey. He transferred in from Texas. I think that's a huge thing for them going forward, uh, especially when we get closer to March. Number seven, Illinois. Now, everyone's going to shit on me for this, but there's precedent here. I know Saturday... They got floored by Penn State. The game made no sense. Oh, well, shit happens. Here's why I have Illinois 7th. I expected this. I expected early in the year they were going to have some weird, bad losses because the beginning of their schedule was really tough. They've played UCLA and Virginia. They played Texas. They played at Maryland. Penn State this year showing they're really good. I wouldn't Right now, Penn State's a tournament team. Um and they have a style that is going to win some games in the Big Ten, a good amount of games in the Big Ten, I think. But uh, we'll get over the bad stuff, and then we'll get to the good stuff uh, after. Listen, Saturday, they, they, listen, they beat Texas. They come back. They're feeling like they're hot shit, and they lay an absolute egg against Penn State. Underwood called them out, and I think that was a huge moment for them, and I think they're going to – Ride that throughout the remainder of the month. They have a pretty favorable schedule the rest of the calendar year. A uh, couple by games, and then they play in the bragging rights game against Missouri. They will blow Missouri's doors off. That's just going to happen. Missouri was 9-0. They finally played an actual good Division One team. Kansas beat them by nearly 30. Uh, in January, they, things start. things are... Decent. They get north. They, uh, but I mean, the Big Ten for them is going to be tough. I just expect them to get through it. Here's the thing with Illinois. I've tried to say it so many times. Again, this is why I have them so high. Their high level wins outweigh their kind of weird moments this year. The, the winning the UCLA game the way they did, very impressive. The Virginia game, they were in it until the final four minutes. They couldn't close. Um, the other, they lose the Maryland game. They were down early. I went into that game expecting a loss. Maryland has owned them for the last few years. That's like the only team in the Big Ten that really has their number. And they haven't won. They, I don't know if they've ever won at Maryland. And they haven't under Brad. I expected that to be a loss. The fact that they were one possession or two possessions away against a really good team, very impressive. And then they beat Texas uh, uh, in a way that was very impressive to me um, to play so well early then to have a rough patch where Texas adjusted and then to come back and find a way to win in overtime. They, th those things are really impressive to me and those stand out. I think the future for them, I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. I think nobody can match their style. They're going to have, they're going to be in rock fights at times, but they have shown their offense can be very, very, Impressive, especially against some really good defensive teams like uh, UCLA and Texas. They weren't good on offense against Virginia, but Virginia's really good defensively, a defensive team. Um, and they were weirdly 
like they were just out of sorts offensively against Penn State. Defensively, though, that's what's going to carry them in really big moments. Just Penn State lit them up from three and Pickett torched, torched guys all game long. Uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. has been really good. The guards are starting to come together. Listen, I'm not worried about the Saturday game. Again, I if you would have told me they would have been seven and three after their first ten games, I probably would have said, "Yeah, I can see it." I, I thought I was booking zero and two in Vegas. I just wanted to see how good they looked early. You could have told me they would have lost the Texas game as well, maybe beat in Maryland and Penn State. Yeah, I would rather have the losses to Maryland and Penn State, and knowing I can see this team compete with Virginia, beat UCLA, and beat Texas, I would rather have all of those and losing the two Big Ten games right now than losing those three big non-conference games and winning the Big Ten games. Because guess what? They won a lot of Big Ten games the last couple years. And then guess what? Nothing to show for it. The goal, this team's goal is to be the last one standing in March, in April, technically. That's how good they are. That's the goal. Get to Houston because they can do it. Number six, Kansas. I love this Kansas team. Jalen Wilson might be my favorite player in college basketball outside of probably ter- uh, TJ Shannon. Jalen Wilson's awesome. Uh, only loss on the year to Tennessee. Again, I'm probably underrating Tennessee. Uh, we do this again in mid-January. Tennessee's probably going to be like third. <laughs> Let's just, especially if they go into Arizona and win. Let's just be real. But uh, this Kansas team, big fan of Jalen Wilson right now is the player of the year in college basketball. He's really good. His improvements and the stuff he's been doing on a yearly basis, he is really good. I love some of the additions they've made, whether either via the portal or uh, just uh, just some uh, recruiting. Kevin McCuller, great, great pickup in the portal. He's been really good. Um, The freshmen, Rice and Grady Dick, have both been very good as well. Uh, MJ Rice has been good. uh, And then Grady Dick has been really clutch in some big moments for them this year. And he will, I think he'll continue to have to be going forward. The Duke one was very impressive. Because they didn't play great offensively. They got kind of put in that. They got put in the blender that Tennessee puts you in. The thing that maybe is as worrisome other than last year, they don't have that great front court presence. Like last year, McCormick, he wasn't this just throw the ball into the post and go get you a bucket type of guy. But he was a difference maker for them inside. You know, he was a difference maker. He could make things happen. They don't really have that this year. So that's something that is going to be really interesting going forward to see what happens, especially in league play when they play teams like TCU has got a really good big uh, just moving forward, like how they adjust from that. We'll see. I'm very interested to see how Kansas looks in conference play. And what I think is the best conference in the country, uh, the, the Big 12. So that'll be fun. Next, number five, Virginia. Uh, I thought early in the year when they beat Baylor, I was like, oh, you know, emotional win after the tragedy that happened. 
even beating Illinois, I was like, okay, I could see that happening. But this seems really good. But they also, because they don't have much punch, their ceiling is very limited. Let's let's go through some of these. So they've obviously got the really impressive wins over Virginia and Illinois. But, okay, you barely beat Michigan. I know on the road, but Michigan's very average. Barely beat them. And in December, you are losing at halftime and then kind of have to survive against a bad Florida State team who's been horrendous this year. The only team in the ACC that's been worse than Florida State is Louisville, who is bad. Louisville is terrible, by, by the way, guys. And then you only beat James Madison by five. James Madison's punchy, but, man, that's that's all. That's it. Now, and now they've got a couple of really tough games in a row. Saturday, they play Houston. Whoo, baby, that game is going to be awesome. That game is going to be awesome. It's going to be 48-47, but it's going to be awesome. Virginia, I really like, and I really think this team has a Final Four caliber, but their lack of firepower, obviously the team that won the title, that is perfect mix of Tony Bennett defense and offensive firepower because they had the def defense that was great, but they also had the offense that when it needed to, like the Purdue game, like the Auburn game, um, they could just outscore you. And they had Guy and Jerome and DeAndre Hunter, who's an NBA player, you know, and Diakite, who's been who was really good post guy for them. This year they just don't have the offensive oomph. You know, Kihei Clark, shout out to him. He's still kind of he's not the same guy he was as a freshman, but he's just more he's so savvy. He knows how to control a game. If you have a young guard, he will put him in hell. We saw him do that to Sky Clark for Illinois, who at the time hasn't been good, but he's starting to get a little bit better. Uh, Clark is amazing and an All-American level guy. He might be the best true point guard in the country just because of how he controls everything. He's a great defender, and he understands how to operate a game. You know what I mean? Him versus Houston's defense is going to be awesome to watch on Saturday. Thank God that I don't have to work the shootout until like four or three because, boy, oh, boy, you bet your ass I'm getting my eyes on that game. That Houston-Virginia game is going to be amazing. Uh, but uh, regardless, they just – and they have some guys uh, on this team that have been – again, they've got guys that can play. Gardner has been a solid guy offensively. They have four guys in double figures, Reese Blackman, Ahmad Franklin, Kihei Clark and uh, uh, Jaden Gardner, all those guys are good on offense to a degree. They just don't run a style. Like none of them are going to, um, they don't have the, the big, they're not going to just wow you. The fact that they scored 86 points against Baylor had a lot to do. They had a really hot shooting night, but outside of that, they haven't really come close to scoring that much in a game. So they're not going to be able to, I guess, knock your socks off, but you could still appreciate how they play and know their defense is going to carry them in a lot of spots. And I will say this, we're going to see Saturday, but there's not many teams in the country that can really, you know, outgun, outmatch them, I should say. 
because whatever style you play, they are going to be able to kind of neutralize it, which is very impressive and why I have them as high as I do. Number four, Texas. Now, this is movable considering what happened today with Chris Beard. We're not going to get into it. And they nearly shit the bed against Rice. They ended up winning, but um, we're going to just base this off of my thoughts on the team so far and my thoughts of they are going to continue to be that same team. Offensively, on the offensive end, this is the best team they've had in a while. Last year, they couldn't put it together on the offensive end, but ho-hum, Marcus Carr is back to being one of the best guards in the country. Tyrese Hunter was a fantastic pickup in the transfer portal. Uh when you just look at their numbers, they're not going to blow you out, blow you your drawers off. But what they do is they have moments where they, re- if they need to, if they need to have a game where they have to score to win, they can do it. But mainly, this is a this is again a Chris Beard team blender. Find ways to win. This is his. Now again, I say this: he might not be the coach the rest of the year. But this is the type of team that he had at Texas Tech when they almost won the national title. And that's why I think Texas could very well win the national title. Number three, Alabama. This has been the sh- this has been the most su- surprising team for me this year. I didn't really know what to expect after I wouldn't say last year was a disappointment by any means, but they didn't have the the year that you would expect to have after near being a title favorite a couple years ago. That win on Saturday against Houston in the way they had to do it is so impressive because they have had a guy in Brandon Miller who's been one of the best players in America. He's one of the best. For, he'd be a top five pick today. He has been really good for the Tide. And the fact that they were able to win that game without him doing really much anything, very impressive. Uh, they have some other guys I, I really, really like that were able to carry the carry the load for them. Noah Clowney was really good in that game. Uh, they also they still have some some guys left over. Uh, Darius Miles from last year's team. Uh, I believe he's one of the real truers, but they've got some other dudes. Jaden Bradley's come in. Charles Bediaco is a really nice post player for them. Namari Burnett, shout out to him. He's really good. So the stuff that they're able to do and throw at you with the way they play under Nate Oates, very impressive. I really love this team, man. The fact that they were able, again, the fact that they were able to win that game against Houston with Brandon Miller not really playing well. Miller was taken out of the game. He didn't score. He didn't hit a field goal. He had eight points, but he didn't hit a field goal. Clowney was their best offensive player. They got a good chip in from Bradley off the bench. Other than that, it was just kind of, you know, find ways. And they ended up winning. Extremely impressed with that. Uh, This Alabama team is really, really good. Uh, That Memphis game on, let's see, it's tonight, tomorrow night. Uh, I guess tonight when you're hearing this, that Memphis game will be really fun to see. Memphis is a team that can be second weekend level good. And Kendrick Davis, I really wanted him to go to Houston. He transferred from SMU. He's probably the best guard in the portal. Went to Memphis. Memphis has been really good. Penny's got those guys rolling. Uh, I really wanted him to go to Houston, man, because they could use like an offensive guard like him. But 
watch out. That game against BIM is going to be fun. And, and Kendrick Miller, really good player. Number two, the UConn Huskies. I love me a good UConn team, man. I'm always a sucker for it. This team is very, very, very intriguing and very malleable. Maybe the most malleable team in the country because they can beat you in so many ways. They have the offensive power when they need it, but this is a grinded out team with loads of talent. Their wing depth is good. They've got multiple. They have two, two high level post players that can can can. Uh, one of them comes off the bench. Who's been their one of their best players this year? Uh, Donovan Klingon, who comes off the bench for them, the freshman, seven two kid from Bristol, and then the guy who's really taken a step, Adama Sanogo, over eighteen a game. So they have two post guys who can really really make you make you work. Uh, Hawkins has been very good for them at the guard position this year. This UConn team so far has really, I guess, shocked me with what they've been able to do. Winning the PK90 wasn't something I expected, but they just rolled everybody they played. What they were able to do in the PK90 was so impressive. They blew, they blew out Oregon. They blew out Bama. They blew out Iowa State. That's like Those are three really damn good wins in that tournament. And they're just handling everybody uh, now. And now you get into Big East play, which the Big East is good, but they're the only team in the biggest ranked. St. John's has had a pretty good year, but like outside of that, who do you trust in the Big East to really give them problems? Villanova's been awful. Creighton's lost five straight, and I thought a week ago Creighton was one of the best teams in the country. Creighton's hit the Creighton's hit the shits. So what do you do in the Big East? UConn could have a really gaudy record when we get to March, and UConn absolutely is going to be in the one-seed fight come March. Number one for me is Houston. I know they just lost Saturday to Bama, but Houston's the best team I've seen. Houston going into this season was my heavy favorites with what they've brought back, with the guys they added in the offseason, just off, not even just like a couple portal guys, but off injury. Marcus Sasser didn't even play last year. And they what they probably should have played for the national title, uh, at least played in the final four versus Kansas. They were so bad against Nova in that in uh, in the Elite Eight off uh, game. But what this team has is depth. They come at you in so many ways, and they're just a bitch to play. Like there is no team in the country that you want to play less than Houston. Like they are the toughest matchup in college basketball. There's, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. They are more, they are tougher than you, more physical, stronger, quicker, more athletic, and they can beat you in a multitude of ways. Now, offensively, do they have fire power? no, not really. Now they have guys that I think are really good players. And again, this is why I wanted them to get Davis or Kendrick Miller in the portal because he's really good. And if you could added him as a guard in this offense, that would have been really good. But Jamal Sheed and Marcus Sasser are both really good guards, really good guards who can score. And obviously defensively, they're great. Tremont Mark is a guy who's still who is Hit and miss sometimes on the offensive end. Reggie Cheney's one of their best players off the bench. Terrence Arsenault is a good as a nice guard off the bench. So they have guys 
that make plays and can do stuff on the offensive end, but obviously this team is bread and butter is defensively. They can, they have, no matter who they play, they play about eight or nine guys regularly, but no matter who they play, all five guys can switch through any position on the floor. They can guard post and perimeter no matter what, no matter what. Even if it's a small guy that gets put in the post, they can make it work. They can switch. They can double team. They're so quick and they're so long. It is easily, in my opinion, the best defensive team in the country. Again, which makes the fact that Bama beat them the way they did so impressive. They're the most complete team in the country. Houston's the best team I've seen. They're still my heavy favorite to win the title if I had to pick one. Uh, They're really good, man. Houston's really good. Uh, And that game Saturday against Virginia is going to be great. And then, uh, then they get into league play. And newsflash, other than Memphis, UCF has some stuff, but... Not many teams are going to give them trouble in the in the American, man. Not many. This isn't a bashing the American thing, but just compared to normal years, this is not a good American year. Uh, so let's just say they get past Virginia. That Bama loss could be their only one going into March Madness. If I had to bet they would be the number one seed. If they lose a couple games, like say they lose a game to Memphis, which they could. Memphis is really good. Memphis, in my opinion, is clearly the second best team in the country, in the AC, AAC. You know, they drop one of the US UCF games, maybe. Maybe they lose a weird game like at ECU or at Cincy. If they're a two or a three seed, good fucking luck. <laughs> good luck. But as a one, obviously, like, That's going, that should be the case. Houston, as of now, should be the favorites to win the title. They should be the overall number one seed. If the tournament, if you were making a bracketology thing today, it is them. I don't give a shit about Purdue. Uh, I don't, about, you know, them. Okay, they're undefeated. So what? Watch the tape. If Purdue and Houston played today, Houston would beat their ass. Okay. So. Top 10 teams I've seen in college basketball, Houston, UConn, Bama, Texas, Virginia, Kansas, Illinois, Arizona, Purdue, Arkansas. We'll take a break. NFL Elite 8 next. This episode is brought to you by the Corner Tap. Who doesn't need a solid handcuff on their fantasy squad? Grab a bite to eat at Clint's Draft House while watching the noon games and then head on over across the Moline Rock Island border to the Corner Tap for some libations during the 3 o'clock games. Every Sunday is fun day at the Corner Tap with $3 Tall Boys, Bloody Marys, Jack Daniels, and $2 PBR Drafts. Head into the Corner Tap, 4018 14th Avenue, Rock Island, and get into the end zone. Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Sake on Facebook, 
at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at ForFantasySakeQC at gmail.com. All right, enough bullshit. Let's get real, son. You know what time it is. It is the NFL Elite Eight for Week 14. Let me be real. There's only currently, in my opinion, six good teams in the league. After that, it gets really hard to rank these teams. So when I say this number eight team, you're going to probably shit yourself. But you do this and and put eight teams here because you can't. Um, Number eight, the Detroit Lions. This is mainly a shout out to them for how good they played over the last month and a half. And also... (laughs) Am I wrong? (laughs) Is there eight teams better than them right now? You could argue the Jets. You could still argue Miami, but I'm not putting them in there after what happened on Sunday. Uh, Maybe Washington, but not the Titans. They've been shit. So certainly not the Ravens. They're going to be the team that when I post the graphic tomorrow, today, whatever, everyone's going to lose their brains because Baltimore's not fucking ranked. Eat my ass. Baltimore's not good. Anywho, the Lions, defensively, they're getting better. Aiden Hutchinson has been awesome, by the way. He's been really good. Um, Their offense continues to roll, even when DeAndre Swift is hit or miss. Jamal Williams has been good. They've got three receivers that you really like now with Jamison Williams back in the lineup. DJ Chark has been playing great. Monra St. Brown's a true one. Uh, the only thing they're missing is a tight end, but hey, they kind of traded him to the to the team they beat on Sunday. Regardless, uh, alive for the seven seed is the Detroit Lions. Is the most important game of the week in week 15, middle third week of December. On December 18th, 2022, who would have thought this? The most important game of the week in the NFL season of this uh, for week 15. Lions at Jets. Loser leaves town? More than likely. Number seven, the LA Chargers. Got to give them props, even though right now they're technically not in the playoffs. But seems like they might. If the Jets lose Sunday, Chargers win against Tennessee. They're in. They're currently tied at seven and six. Expect them to probably make it. The Dolphins would have to really lose. Like, even after the Bills game, they close out the season with three games they should win, but they keep fucking sucking. Uh, I really thought the Ravens were going to lose out uh, without Lamar, but they found, but Mitch Trubisky played on Sunday. So, congratulations. Uh, Chargers still need some help to get in, but if they can be healthy on offense, that should count. Um, everyone's going to want to tell you, oh, the Chargers, no one wants to play them. Eh. Their defense, is, again, their defense is nothing, really, that to be scared of. Offensively, if Allen and Williams are playing to a degree, yeah, be, just because Williams can make plays deep, They just still don't have much speed. Their offensive schematics are terrible, but this team could make the playoff. We could get Chiefs. We could get Chargers, Bills, or Chargers, Chiefs round one. Wouldn't that be tasty? Number six, the Buffalo Bills. Um, I guess some positives here is that they continue to find ways to win, and hopefully the offense kind of gets it going again soon. 
uh, they that game on Sunday was physical against the Jets. The fact that they were able to survive a game like that that was so physical, very impressive. It shows me that they have that ability. They're not just a finesse team. And not that I thought they were, but that is very impressive to me that they were able to have that moment of, you know, we can we can win a barroom brawl against a team like that. And very impressive that they were able to do so. Number five, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, listen, here is the thing that will, that I care about when it comes to the Cowboys. I'm just, they won. They found a way to win that 98 yard drive at the end of the game. Not the easiest thing to do. And they were able to do it. Listen, Houston, Colin Coward said it best. I was watching his little instant reaction yesterday. He said it best. The Chargers are still a professional football team with a lot of pride. They are going to take, you know, they are going to have that game circled because everyone all week has been saying that they're going to lose by 20, 30 points. And they came out and played really hard. And it was a weird game. The Texans were playing Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. It made no sense. It also felt like every time the Texans had a chance to put it away, uh, the, they were like buzzing down to Lovey Smith, like, hey, we need you to lose so we can lock up this number one overall pick. Uh, very weird, very weird stretch to end that game. But listen, the Cowboys won. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Uh, in, in a game like that, you have you have those weird results games every year. Let's just be glad that they found a way to win this one and that they weren't on the wrong side of it. Number four, the Cincinnati Bengals. I did not expect that. Clearly, I picked against them this week on the Sinister Six. By the way, bad Sinister Six week, but I will go down with the, the boat on this one. All year, these huge dogs especially at home, have covered. And this was the first week where you have these big dogs, the Giants' big dogs at home, the uh, Browns' big dogs in the divisional game. Usually these games cover. Nope, not this week. Both of those games get light on lit on fire. Uh, anybody who had Browns in the points on the first drive was calling Kevin Stefanski every name in the book for on fourth and one when Deshaun Watson's playing well, taking him out to throw a play action deep ball with Jacoby Brissett. Kevin Stefanski deserves to be publicly executed for that. That was one of those really stupid decisions. Regardless, Bengals, weird game because Tyree or uh, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd both go out in the first drive uh, and don't return. And they still find a way to control the game, the running game. And I listen, everybody runs on the Browns, so, you know, it doesn't really matter. Even the Dolphins ran on the Browns, and, you know, they haven't ran the ball at all for three straight weeks, basically. Um, so the, the, I do like the fact, though, in the run game for Cincinnati that Pirine has become a legitimate option for them. They obviously had to have that with Mixon gone for a few weeks, but Mixon back and now it seems like they have a two-man game in that backfield. Higgins and Boyd out meant other guys had to make plays, and they did. Welcome back to the world, Jamar Chase. Uh, he was good against the Chiefs, but he was much better this week. 
against the Browns, made some really good plays. Listen, man, the Bengals are hot, and I've said this before. They at uh, at you know a month ago, or I guess not even that, even two or three weeks ago, they were four and four. Then they go, they win three in a row, and they were seven and four. Even going into the Chiefs game or the Tech going into the Titans game, I was very hit and miss with the Bengals because. It was like, yeah, you've won some games here and there, but the year had gone kind of how I expected for them. A couple weird losses. When you back off of last year, you expected that regression. But the last three weeks, very impressive. To win that game in Tennessee the way they did, then to beat the Chiefs the way they did, and then to really control the Browns. I know the Browns made some mistakes. Again, that first drive. Uh, they really like that was just dumb late in the game. They have a chance to cut it to a score. Watson throws a dime back shoulder to Donovan people's Jones and people's Jones has it bounce off his fucking chest. Uh, so the Browns kind of couldn't get out of their own way. Deshaun also threw kind of a bad pick after making a really good play. The play before, uh, so regardless though, the Bengals, Good win. Good win. I didn't expect them to be able to do that the way they did. I definitely thought this was kind of a trap game for them. They still own their own destiny in the one seed category to a degree, I guess. They do need the Chiefs to lose the game, but if they beat the Bills, they're going to be the two seed. If they went out, they'll be the two seed. I don't think the Ravens are going to beat. Uh, I don't think the Ravens would beat the Bills or the Bengals um, when they play in a couple weeks. The Bengals play the Bucks on Sunday. That should be very one-sided. The Bucks are awful. But yeah, Bengals absolutely should be, you know, in your tightest Super Bowl bubbles. I think this the Super Bowl bubble right now is the the top 6 that I have. You kick the Dolphins out of the club, you bring these 6 teams in. The Bills are in it obviously, and welcoming back into the Super Bowl bubble, the Super Bowl circle. The San Francisco 49ers, after being out on it because of the Brock Purdy thing, not really knowing whether or not that was going to work, whether or not that was going to be something that would be sustainable. I know it's one game, but he was very impressive on Sunday against Tampa Bay. That was dominant against the Bucks, And they kicked their ass. It's it's not, not it's about as much about the defense as on Sunday as it was against the offense because Purdy made some throws. Here's what I like the most about him. For a guy coming in in his spot, he is very calm. He's not rattled. You know, we see backup quarterbacks come in and they are fucking jittery and terrified. He is confident, cool, calm, collected, all of those things. When pressure's beating down on him, he doesn't turtle up and shell and just get hit. We've seen Trubisky or even uh, some other guy, like Tua to an extent. Um, Trubisky's kind of the one that always sticks out in my mind. But other backup quarterbacks, whenever they feel pressure, man, they just get jittery. Carson Wentz. 
Kirk Cousins at some times, at some points. Not this dude so far. Now, I mean, he's not better than some of those guys. He's not better than Wentz or Kirk right now or Tua. Probably better than Mitch Trubisky, though. But Purdy is not scared of guys coming off the end untouched, knowing he's going to get fucking lit up. He will stand there and make the throw. And that, to me, is what's really, really impressive about him. Obviously, it's going to be tough for them to, to just kind of keep this up. Some good news for them is that the Debo Samuel injury didn't look as bad or doesn't seem like it's as bad as it looked. When he got hurt, it looked like a, a season ender. Even if he's out, obviously getting Christian McCaffrey kind of helps that. But with him in there, then they're just so much more dynamic. They have more guys you can put in more spots. Uh, so hopefully he can come back soon. But yeah, man, that was very impressive Sunday. I needed to see that. I needed to see them not just win, but kind of look as dominant as they have been over the last month, even with Purdy in there and Purdy makes some throws to really kind of up my confidence in what I think they can be going into the playoffs. So by the way, if we got Eagles Niners in the in the NFC title game, would you not be entertained? That goddamn that'd be fun. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, not much to say here. Like tough game on the road in the division. The Broncos finally got going. Listen, the Chiefs defense is very their corners aren't that good, even though everyone's gonna like want to boost them up. Their corners are very, very average. Uh the D-line can get pressure, which is a good thing, but not they're not dominant up front. So the defense is there to be had against a Cincinnati or a Buffalo. That could be an issue. But offensively, what they did against Denver was extremely impressive. Um, Mahomes had a couple bad plays. He threw the one interception, which got jumped. Uh, the second interception was not, guys, it was not an interception. The one that Sertan made, that ball clearly hit the ground. I don't know what fucking camera angle or what sports book the refs got plus the the Broncos and the points got at because that was a horrendous fucking call. But Mahomes made a couple bad plays ish. One of them shouldn't have even counted, and they still found a way to win. Uh, listen, oh well, chalk it up. They're gonna win out. I think they won't lose again, so they should be the one seed. Obviously, though, if they lose a game, one more game, they probably won't be the one seed because Cincinnati and. Cincinnati or Buffalo will finish with four losses. So if the Chiefs finish with four losses, then they could be the three. But wouldn't they rather be the three seed and play the Dolphins at home? Eh, maybe not, because that'd be a bad matchup defensively. Unless they can just kind of beat to beat their Dolphins' own lineup. Could you imagine Chiefs-Dolphins in round one? Because the Dolphins should be the six unless they just kind of fall off the cliff. Well, Dolphins might be the five. I think the Ravens are going to start losing games. So could get Lamar versus Mahomes in round one if Lamar can come back. Interesting stuff. Chiefs need to win out so they can lock up that one seed. Uh, even though if the Bills went out, they wouldn't. But I think the Bills, I don't know. I think the Bills got one more Ellen than this year at least. Uh, and number one, of course, the Eagles. Okay, so everyone's going to give Jalen Hurts the MVP right now. 
He's playing well, though. Like, it's hard to not give it to him. I still think it's Mahomes. Just look at the numbers. But what Jalen has done over the last couple weeks throwing the football, god damn, has been impressive. He was dialed in again. Um, and I know the one he touchdown he hit to, I believe it was Devontae Smith, where he ran the go ball and the safety tried to get a pick on fourth down instead of just playing the ball or instead of just playing dude and just knocking it away. Dumb, dumbass play. But other than that weird one, he was dialed in. He was throwing darts. He was, you know, their offense moving in rhythm. We always talk about all the things they do that make you wrong on the defensive end that allow them to move the ball and navigate downfield. But in this game, they did those things, you know, to a T. They're running defense after being kind of a sieve for a couple weeks. Jordan Davis is back, and it has been really good. They're lathered with all pros, man. When you look at it on both sides of the ball, a lot of their own linemen are all pro level. Jalen Hurts, at worst, is going to be a second-team all-pro. He's probably going to be – him and Mahomes are the top two quarterbacks in the league right now. They're the top two MVP candidates. The running game has been great. A.J. Brown's had an all-pro caliber season. And defensively, uh, they've got really good. They've got great depth up front. Their DBs have been really, really good. So, listen, man, this Eagles team is complete. They're the best team in the league right now. I have to give it up. Would I? The only caveat when it comes down to it is like, would I pick them to win the Super Bowl right now? <sighs> no, I would probably still pick Kansas City. But I think them and the Niners in the NFC title game. Boy, oh boy, that's fucking fascinating. God, that's fascinating to see that offense try to navigate that defense. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be good, man. Oh, I need it. I need that. I need that. I need Eagles Niners in the NFC title game because any of the AFC title games we get should be great because Chiefs Bengals, Chiefs Bills, Bills Bengals. Um, somehow, if the Chargers go on a run, even if Miami kind of figures it out and gets to the AFC title game. No matter who they play, that game would be fun. Chiefs, Bengals, Bills. um, Like, all of that would be great. And then any combination of Niners, Cowboys, Eagles, and the NFC title game, man. Like, we're going to get, if we get four of those top six, Eagles, Chiefs, Niners, Bengals, Cowboys, Bills, if we get four of those, if we end up actually getting four of those six in the conference finals games, conference title games, goddamn, what a Sunday that will be. Holy shit. If we get Bills Chiefs and Niners Eagles or Bills or Bengals Chiefs and like Eagles Cowboys or Niners Cowboys, can you imagine what a day that would be? My God, and divisional weekend again for the second year in a row is lining up to be very tasty. We're going to get some sort of those six teams, as long as the Cowboys don't fuck the game up against the NFC South champ, those six teams, then add the Vikings and then the Dolphins or the Chargers in there or the Titans, if they can get out of their own way. Listen, man. Two straight years of division weekend, AFC, NFC title game weekend, and then hopefully the Super Bowl all being bangers. We are on the path. Final Elite Eight again. 
not final deer, but week 14. Eagles 1, Chiefs 2, Niners 3, Bengals 4, Cowboys 5, Bills at 6, Chargers at 7, and then Lions at 8. Come back to wrap things up next. Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Sake on Facebook. Facebook at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at ForFantasySakeQC at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you to DJ Jarvis and Doug Green, as always, for getting us up and giving us great content and the platform to use and all that good stuff. Check us out on probably Thursday. I'm going to see if Nick wants to go. Shit. We might do Thursday night again. We might do Thursday night. We might do a quick because the Thursday night game is really good. So here's what we can do. If, if Nick is with me on Thursday again, what we'll do, which I'm sure he will be. We'll do a quick recap of the Thursday night game because I'm it's I'm expecting it to be really good. And then. After that, we'll get into our Sinister Six picks. Um, just a recap of the week for me. Um, I went 0 for 1, 0 for 2, 0 for 3. Just not going to put that one on there. Uh, 0 for 4, 1 for one and 4, 2 and 4. So I went 2 and 4. Tough week. Uh, back to 500. Just can't stay out of this realm of 500 and then whatnot. 41, 41, and three. And Nick had a good week. He uh, won in uh, oh, two, uh, and then bang, bang, bang. Four and two week for him. So seven and five so far through two weeks for Nick. Not bad. This week, big bounce back will be in, will be needed. Um, and then also watch out for the possibility maybe Wednesday night we do some sort of bowl mania thing. I don't know. We're going to try. I'm going to try. We'll see. I'm going to try to get the guys lined up. But regardless, as always, this has been the Educated Ignorance Podcast. Uh, if you ain't got your game, you best pass the sticks. We will see you guys next time. Worst case on Thursday. If not, we'll see you guys Wednesday night, maybe live. We'll see. Until then, though, we're out. Peace.